0: I start preaching, huh? They'll get the idea that it's time to begin sooner or later. <laughs> okay, thank you for wrapping up that greet time and uh, taking your seats. I'm not going to preach until kingdom comes, so in the space of one sermon, you'll have the chance to greet each other again. Hopefully you've got a Bible, and because uh, we're going to be using it this morning, because this is a a sermon from God's Word. It's a special day at Prairie View because this is the first time somebody gets to stand here in the pulpit and say that in two weeks we're going to have a regular preacher in the pulpit each and every week. The rotation, right, indeed. Praise praise God. We can uh, thank him for the work that he's done there. The rotation will be over. Uh, you won't see me in the pulpit again unless Pastor Ryan gets sick or uh, starts a rotation or something. So, Praise the Lord Almighty, indeed. Okay. Um, The Lord has sustained us through 19 years and four pastors and four pastoral transitions, so this is exciting. We get to turn our eyes towards the future and uh, start uh, continuing the work that he has for this church. Now, after Jesus... Died and rose from the dead. He spent a couple of weeks before he ascended back to heaven spending time with his disciples, giving them solid proofs that he was indeed alive in the flesh, and also giving them final instructions, the last things that he wanted them to know. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That is Christ's mission, his commission for all his people in all places, at all times. And this summer, uh, Carl led the elders through some thinking of, what is that going to look like here at Prairie View in 2010 and beyond in Hamilton County? How are we going to carry out the Great Commission here? And what uh, we came up with, and credit where credit is due, it's Mike that put it in this form, is following the way, teaching the truth, and sharing the life. And about that same time, the business cards, calling cards, whatever you want to call them, that uh, you can find out in the lobby. Those showed up. These are easy little things you can put in your wallet so that uh, when you have the opportunity to talk to somebody and invite them to church, you've got something because it has the name of our church and our address, our web address, our phone number, our service times, and following the way, teaching the truth, sharing the life. That is what we are about here at Prairie View. That's the language that we use to describe how we are going to be doing the work of this uh, christian life that we're living out together we're going to take the next three weeks to elaborate on that mission one week for each phrase this week i've got following the way and then we'll have carl next week and after that we'll have pastor ryan we'll begin his ministry with um, sharing the life in your bible please turn to the gospel of john jesus famous statement that he is the way the truth and the life is in chapter 14, verse 6. And if we want to understand what he meant, I don't see many people flipping in their Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one. They're, they're out there. I see it. That's good. If you don't have one, this is your, your chance to get one. We're going to start not in chapter 14, but back in chapter 13, in verse 31. That's the beginning of this conversation. And we will go through and see what Jesus meant. What it was that came before he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Thirteen through the seventeen, these five chapters are the account of a single evening. Fully 25% of the Gospel of John he devoted to this one night. It is the last time that Jesus is going to address the disciples before he goes to the cross. He's told them many times that he is going to be killed. He is going to be put to death. But they, the disciples, still think that somehow, some way, he's going to at that point establish his final, permanent, earthly kingdom and rule from Jerusalem and reign in power and they're going to be the top dogs and it's going to be great. That is what they are expecting. Jesus knows what they're expecting and he, we will see that he's going to reorient their expectations and set them upside down. Verse 31 of chapter 13 of John. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. In Jesus the son of man is Jesus God is glorified in Jesus if God is glorified in him God will also fly also glorify him in himself God will glorify Jesus in what Jesus is doing and glorify him at once up to this point in the book Jesus has been saying not now not yet my time is not yet here this is not my hour keep quiet not yet but at this point he knows That it's time. Now is the Son of Man glorified. God will glorify him at once. He knows what's about to happen next. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. He references previous conversation it happened back in chapter 7 and chapter 8 you can look it up later if you like this is stuff that he said publicly i'll be with you a little while longer then i'm going to him who sent me you will seek me and you will not find me where i am you cannot come chapter 8 he said to them again i'm going away you will seek me and you will die in your sin where i am going you cannot come That he said publicly. This he's saying privately to his disciples right before he says, Now is the Son of Man glorified. God will glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while longer I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. Does he explain what he means by that? Not yet. Instead, he goes back and he repeats something that he has already said is the second greatest commandment. Love God. With all that you are is number one. The second one is to love others. But he gives a new twist on it, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The disciples, they're not really interested in hearing how they're supposed to be loving each other the way that Christ loved them. He's just washed their feet and that made them really uncomfortable. They don't really want to hear about loving each other. They want to go back and talk about where Jesus is going. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus is speaking here in layers. John in his gospel shows that the things that Jesus said often have many layers to them. He's already made clear that he's going back to the Father and that we cannot follow Or maybe that we can follow, but not until after. After what? We know now that he's talking about the cross, going to the cross, his death and resurrection. They did not know that then. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Will he? Yes, no. Will Peter lay down his life? The answer is yes. Yes, he will. But not for 30 years. 30 years later, Peter will follow Jesus to a cross of his own. But will he follow him tonight? Lay down his life for him this night? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow. The sun will not rise. This night will not finish. The alarm clock will not go off till you have denied me three times. If I were Peter, that would really make me nervous. Here I am, ready to lay down my life for Christ. And yet he's saying that something going to happen tonight that's going to shake me so badly that three times I would say, I don't know that man. He's not my friend. I'm not one of his. What's going to happen? Jesus addresses that. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Jesus is going to do some work of preparation so that we can be brought to him where he is, with the Father, in the Father's house. He continues, You know the way to where I am going. Now the poor disciples are still thinking, That Jesus is going to establish an earthly kingdom. And he's going to go someplace physically to make preparations. He's going to go to Jericho. He's going to go to Hebron. He's going to make some preparation and come back. And things are going to be great. He'll restore the kingdom. So they press him. How are we supposed to know the way if you're not going to tell us where you're going? If we don't know where you're going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is not what the disciples were expecting to hear, was it? Jesus is going to the Father. He's preparing a place for us with the Father. He will return to take us to the Father. He is the way, the only way to the Father. They know the way because they know him. Here, Jesus has given us one of the most Elemental foundational expressions of the gospel. I am the way. From that one statement, we can, and it's context here in 14, we can develop uh the, the most clear articulation of the gospel that the church has established. Five hundred years ago, the Protestant Reformation was born out of wrestling over what is the nature of the gospel. What is the gospel? What is secondary? What is not the gospel? And the reformers came up with five. Five easy essentials for what is the gospel. First, salvation is through Christ alone, and it is by grace alone. It is through faith alone. It is for the glory of God alone, and it is found in the scriptures alone. And here in John 14, what do we see? We see in verse 6, Jesus says, He is the way. And in verse 1, that we are to believe Believe, have faith, believe in him. In verse 3, he is the one who will bring us to God, not our own efforts. It is by grace. And in verse 2, that it is his word that is to believe. He calls upon the authority of his word, what he has said to us. And lastly, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified through him. In verse 31 of chapter 13, back where we started. All that defines us as evangelical Christians is contained in that statement, I am the way, and the context in which it's found. He also threw in a statement of his own deity and divinity, but that is hidden in the construction of the Greek grammar. So for the sake of time and uh, deference to our new senior pastor who's going to be arriving, I'll leave it to uh, Pastor Ryan to talk about what Jesus meant when he says, Ego, a me, hey, hadas," because he sure does love his Greek, and we're going to benefit from that quite a bit, I'm sure. Now... It's pretty easy for us to uh, stand here and talk about Jesus being the way, the only way. And you and I, all of us know that if we were to go outside these walls and to talk about that with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, somebody that we know that didn't already believe it, it would be difficult. That there is something different in this environment that's not true outside of here. Western culture has fallen into the grip of uh, postmodern relativistic pluralism or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, you're all free to believe whatever you want to believe as long as you keep it private, you keep it to yourself, you don't try to influence anybody else, you don't hurt anybody else. In some quarters, you're not even really supposed to believe in the truth claims of Jesus at all. Other places, you're free to believe it if you want to, just keep it to yourself, right? Because if you think such things... And you articulate such things and you say them out loud, then you are what? Arrogant. Narrow minded. Okay? There's no quick and easy way to get around that mindset except when you're talking with that neighbor, that friend, that coworker, classmate, in the context of that relationship to slowly, gently, gradually introduce them to um, reality which is where we all actually live. And once you've established that there is such a concept as a real reality that can be verified, then it's not too far to be talking about the one who made reality, who exists outside of it, who gives it meaning and has told us what he wants us to know. This is not a sermon on apologetics, but I didn't want to just gloss over the fact that what I'm talking about here this morning, Jesus is the way, we are following that way. That's weird to the people outside who haven't come to understand and see why Jesus is the way and why we need to follow him. Now, to help us understand what it looks like to follow the way, let's use some different words. We've talked about the mission statement of Prairie View, following the way, sharing the life, teaching the truth. Not in that order, sorry. Um, let's look at the, the vision statement now, actively pursuing Christ together. When we look into the future of Prairie View, that's what we want to see, a group of people that are helping each other and the people that we know actively Pursue our walk with Christ. Let's start with that verb and uh, flesh that out a little bit. Pursuing. It's more than just a passive following. When the guys went go-karting yesterday morning, we all went from here down to Post Road. Everybody followed me on the highway. Was Mark Heinzman pursuing me the way that we pursue Christ? Was Dan Rich pursuing go-karting? I hope not. I hope not. They were just following me down the road, going in the same direction at the same time, starting from the same place. That's following, and we're talking about here, pursuing, something a little more active and intense. Going someplace together and striving for the same goal, the same purpose, the same destination, using the same methods and having the same experiences. Christ went first we follow after him. We're both seeking to bring glory to God and glory to to him. Greater works than his we will do, he told us. We carry Christ's sufferings in our bodies to people that don't know about it yet and its significance. It's not a procession. It's not a chase. It's an ongoing pattern of life, a pursuit. Second, pursuing something in particular. We're pursuing Christ. We've forsaken all other roads all other callings all other masters we seek not our own glory or uh, the glory of our kids or even our church as an institution or the state or whatever other affinity group you identify with it is his glory it's christ that we are pursuing everything else falls in line under that there's a place for family and kids and the cults and all that but it all comes under following christ craig talked about a couple weeks ago priorities are the priorities that you've set up in your life consistent with what you would claim and hope they would be? Christians pursue Christ. And importantly, this pursuit is the cultivation of a relationship. It's not just pursuing the idea of a Christ or a correct Christology or um, Christianity as a religion. It's the cultivation of a relationship. And God gave us the marriage relationship to help us understand what it is to have a relationship with Christ. I believe in marriage. I'm a big fan of marriage. But I wouldn't have a good one if I didn't cultivate that relationship on a regular basis. We went go-karting yesterday. Aaron couldn't make it because Brianna decided she was going to be sick to her stomach. But I've been go-karting with Aaron before. It's a lot of fun. It wasn't the same without her yesterday. I really wanted her to have been there. And she's still my number one go-karting buddy, You look so embarrassed. You should be glad I didn't read what I wrote in the backside. <laughs> it's the cultivation of a relationship. I have to work on maintaining that relationship that I have with her. And it's the same way with our relationship with Christ. It takes effort to cultivate that because it is a relationship. And that's the third point, that it takes effort. It is active. This isn't something that happens on accidents. We saw this all the way back on Route 66 with Pastor Robbie about two years ago this time. We were going through the New Testament letters and Robbie showed us that if you establish the patterns and behaviors in your life that God has promised to bless, then there will be fruit that's born from that. Meeting him in his word, spending time in prayer, fellowshipping with other people, serving, sharing with others, giving. It all takes effort, right? It only happens on purpose. We heard that last month. It only happens on purpose. A marriage doesn't flourish by accident. A relationship with Christ following the way. It's a lifetime of cultivating that relationship. And lastly, it's something that we do together. God has grouped his persons, his Christians, his many sons, individuals, into churches, into groups, into a body with one head, which is Christ, into a flock with one shepherd, who is Christ, the people of God. The body has many parts, all of which are essential, none of which are Independence, actively pursuing Christ was never intended to be an individual exercise. We are designed and gifted and called to do this together. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, it is in the church, the unity of ununifiable people into one people in Christ that God is glorified. The holy and peaceful union through him, all peoples, tribes, tongues, God is glorified through this coming together in one common cause which is Christ we need each other's help to cultivate our personal relationship our individual walk with God let's use our imaginations for a moment I need two volunteers from the congregation you can stay in your seat I'll come to you two folks that are willing to play along with me for a moment I need somebody who is an organization person a thinker a planner Somebody who loves their schedules. Raise your hand and I will come and make fun of you in just a moment. Kim, Kors. course. All right. I need somebody who likes to think of themselves as spontaneous. Nobody. Okay. Kim Davidson. All right. Sure. Kim? Okay. Kim Davidson is going to pretend to be spontaneous. Now... You may have heard that um, Aaron and I went on an eight-day Caribbean cruise recently to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Happy anniversary. It was great. It was beautiful. We had such a fun time. We've gone on four cruises, and it was definitely uh, the best one that we've been on yet, even though she insisted that we do karaoke far more than I would have preferred. But we had a great, great time. And I'm thinking of doing another trip. Um, but this time, it's not just going to be for me and Erin. I want to take other people, too, because that would be delightful. Now, Mrs. Davidson. How would you like to go on a trip? Ready? ready. Right, now. right now. Right now to walk out the door. All right. Well, you get the trophy for slot in 80 then. <laughs> Mrs. Coors, how would you like to go on a trip? You can't go yet. Why is that? You're not ready. What, what would you need to do to be ready? Other than, let's say we were st- staying in the States. What would you need to do to be to be ready? Time off work. Time off work. You'd have to make plans. You'd need information from me, right? There's stuff that you'd need to know. You get the trophy for, for planning. I got a dozen trophies for $9, and there were only three places in go-karting for second and third. Congratulations, Mark I'm mean, So leftover trophies. When Jesus... Not yet. I knew that I was going to do that exercise this morning, so I asked Aaron, who is by far the most organized, scheduled diligent planning person I know, I asked her that same question. And I like to think of myself as an organized planning schedule kind of person. And even I sometimes, oftentimes, get a little frustrated by Erin's devotion to her, her planner, especially on vacation. So I asked her this question, would you like to go on a trip with me this week? I asked her this week, would you like to go on a trip with me? And I travel for work and sometimes she gets to travel with me. Sometimes This wasn't for work, it was a vacation. Sometimes it's that kind of trip. Sometimes it's a week of working in Steamboat Springs, which is not so bad. Sometimes I say, you want to go on a trip with me? And it's a three-night trip to Mystery Creek, New Zealand, two of those nights on an airplane. And believe me, Mystery Creek is not nearly as romantic as it sounds. So she's learned to ask some pretty important questions. And I asked her, and in the space of 30 seconds, in a panicked frenzy, she gave me, at least a dozen questions, things that she would need to know before she agreed to go on a trip. It was a little bit disturbing. Now, when Jesus first called the disciples, he simply said, what? Follow me. And that's all they got. And as they followed him, they learned more about him. And we've got more information to go on than they do. But it's that same command, that same invitation, follow me, that he gives us. And folks in his day had questions and when you're sharing the gospel and giving that invitation to somebody that you know friend, family, neighbor, coworker, classmate they might have questions too. God made us with inquisitive minds <clears throat> minds, excuse me, and God has provided answers for those questions. So let's go through some of the questions that somebody might ask when they're asked. Would you like to go on this trip? Would you like to follow the way Where are we going? Terry said this earlier. Paul said it first. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He has prepared the way by being the way. And as we go on this journey, we will be pursuing him, walking the path that he walked, becoming more like him until one day as we follow him, we will pass through the veil of death and be in his presence. So that's where we are going. What's the purpose of the trip? Why are we making this journey? Why are we going where we're going? Well, there's many reasons to go. Some of them are better than others. Ultimately, the primary foremost reason we would walk on this path is not for our own good, although it is definitely for our good, but for the glory of God to be an evidence of his grace. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. It is good for us. We go from darkness to light, and that's good for us. That's a reason to go, but ultimately it's so that we can speak and proclaim the excellencies of Him who has done this. We get the good, God gets the glory. That's the purpose of this trip. How are we going to get there? Do you mean by what road we're going to travel, we'll do as Hebrews 10:19 says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He has opened for us, let us draw near with a full, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. That's how we're going to get from here to there. Jesus is the way. But if you mean by what mode of transportation we're going to tow, we're going to go. We're going to walk. This is a journey that is a walk. Our friend Eugene Peterson has called the Christian life a long walk of obedience in the same direction. Because Paul tells us to walk in love, walk as children of light, walk wisely, no longer walk in sin. This is a walk that we are going to go on. What do I need to bring? What do I need to bring with me? Nothing. In fact, we are called to come to Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give us rest. As you go on this journey, as you continue on this path following the way, you will discover that many of the things that you brought with you, you're leaving behind. Your sin, bad habits, shame, guilt, character flaws, all being left behind as we grow in humility and godliness and Christ's likeness. If you're worried about paying your way, put that thought far from your mind. You don't need to bring payment. Christ has paid our passage. Because for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The price has been paid. The price has already been paid. What provisions will we need on the way? Everything we need will be provided when we need it. Christ has given us his word, although we might neglect it. He's given us his people, although we might not like all of them all the time. He has given us a wealth of examples to follow, both living and historical. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who endured such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. But we know that we may often find ourselves lacking in material comforts. Yet even in those times of true distress, we have this provision from God, that he is teaching us and training us and giving us contentment in him. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And as we face those situations, abundance and need, plenty and hunger we may find that it's the times of plenty and abundance that are trickier spiritually than the times of need and hunger. Who's going with us on this trip? Most of the time we will have each other, fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But even when we feel alone, even when we are alone, separated from a good local church, we are not truly alone. Christ told us, I am with you always to the end of the age we know that he ascended to heaven to return to the father just like he said but he told us i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you i will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name so not only do we have christ's word not only do we have christ's people but we have the mind of christ the spirit of christ himself But there will be many who do not go with us. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who enter by it. For the gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. What will the journey be like? The way is hard? What's this going to be like? We will have sweet mountain highs and we will have bitter, deep, dark valley lows. Most of the time, we're somewhere in the middle. But Jesus was unmistakably clear. In this world, you will have trouble. Paul told his churches that we are destined for afflictions. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions, just as it has come to pass, just as you know. So we should not be surprised at this, Nor should we despair, because we know that God intends for the trials of our life to make us more like him, to accomplish his purposes, to perfect us and make us complete in Christ. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So we count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds, for the testing of our faith produces Steadfastness. And blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. When would we start? Immediately, without delay. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, you might receive many more invitations, many more opportunities to follow, or you might not. You must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Today is the day of salvation. How long is this journey going to take? When will we arrive? I can't tell you exactly because this is the journey of a lifetime. That's how long we will be walking, following, engaging in this active pursuit together. This is the time here when we can work for our Lord. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first Believed. Let us cast off the work of darkness. Let us walk properly. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for me on your account to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What will it cost? Well, there's nothing that you could pay that would begin to make payment for the cost of the journey. The price has been paid. The passage is paid. But it will cost you everything you have because everything that you have Everything that you are, every ounce of energy, every moment of time, every material resource was created by God and given to you by God and was bought back out of slavery by God. He made you and he redeemed you. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Folks carrying crosses, what are they not carrying? Suitcases, portfolios, backpacks. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul, forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? When will we get back? There is no going back. This is a one-way trip. No one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But really, once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, once you've enjoyed the fellowship of his people, once you have grown in Christ and enjoyed the comfort of the Spirit, would you wish to return to the slavery and lies of sin and the deceit of the enemy and his darkness? We were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that we might walk in newness of life? How can we who died to sin still live in it? What about the stuff that I'm leaving behind? If you love your stuff more than you love Christ, then one of two things will happen. Either he will gently but surely break your attachment to your stuff, or worse, he will abandon you to it. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What about my plans, my hopes, my dreams? Same thing. If you cling to your plans, your hopes, your dreams for this life, more than you love the plans that Christ has for you, then he will either graciously replace your affection for the temporal with a new affection for the eternal, or he will abandon you to what you really want, to your everlasting ruin. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. What if I say no? What if I say no? God is a gracious and patient God who waits and waits so that the full number of his people may come to repentance. But he will not wait forever. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and patience and forbearance? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone, Christ is the stone. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. I told you that you will die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What if I get lost on the way or get tired and falter? We will help you. You will get tired on the way. You will experience seasons of intense trial, darkness, confusion, despair. That's why God groups us into churches. Get in a church in the body of Christ so that we can mutually build ourselves up in love. Put yourself in a local church. Get in a small group. So that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. If there's a time when you are growing fast, pressing ahead, following the way, and sinking deep into the word and loving your time with God, we will be there to cheer you on and be thrilled for you. And when the season comes, when you are tired and weak and weary and lethargic and stuck, We will be there to cheer you on, to urge you on, to pick you up, to pray for you, to carry you. We do it together. What if I change my mind on the way and want to quit? You may reach a point, a season, a point, a time in your life where you think and feel that to continue is unbearable and unthinkable. And that it would be preferable, regardless of whatever joy and glory lies ahead, to go back ...and return to a life of sin... ...separated from God... ...and separated from his people. We all know people... ...that have walked with us... that have lived their lives with us... ...that give every appearance... ...and give us every reason to believe... ...that they are walking on the way... ...actively pursuing Christ with us... ...and yet they follow no longer. What do we do about that? God knows those who are his. God knows the condition of every soul. We know whom we have believed... And we are convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to us. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. What's it going to be like when we arrive? What will we do? When we arrive in heaven, we will have rest from our labors and deliverance from our sins. We will have no pain, no suffering, No tears, no darkness, no separation, no division amongst us. We will be like him. If he had not told us about it, we would not be able to imagine it or conceive of it. It will be the fulfillment of all our best hopes, the satisfaction of all our best desires, and the completion and culmination of all our best efforts. We will enjoy work without toil, and we will enjoy leisure without laziness. All this will be possible because he is there And all that will not be the most wonderful thing because he will be there and we will be with him. He has gone to prepare a place for us. He will come again and take us to himself. We shall see him as he is. We will be known. We will know as we have been fully known. We will be like him because we shall see him. It will be wonderful. Is it worth it? Will it be worth it? If we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have died. Christ has raised first, and the rest will follow. Though our outer body is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction coming from Paul, who knew affliction. Light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Is it worth it? Will it be worth it? Yes, it will be. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son, that we may know him, that we may know you, that we may go to be with you, and that we may walk with you in this life. I thank you that you have given us hope, and that you are cultivating hope in us, and that hope will not put us to shame. I thank you that you have provided a way for our sins to be dealt with, that we no longer need to face the penalty of them in eternity, we no longer are subject to the power of them in in the present, and that we will no longer have the presence of it one day when we see you. Lord, I thank you that if there are people here who have not yet dealt with their sin, that today is a day of salvation, and that they can come to you humbly and accept the grace that you have given them and follow the way and pursue you with us together. Jesus, it is in your great name we pray. Amen. Would you all please stand as we sing our final song?